Welcome to season two of COVID-19 Public Health Policy and Culture. In these episodes, we share international stories about the pandemic around the world, what it looks like in everyday lives, as well as what it looks like from the eyes of researchers and professionals who work on the pandemic, on controlling the pandemic. This podcast is designed for information to be translatable. This podcast is designed to translate information from epidemiologists, emergency medical professionals, and those who do work on the front lines with the pandemic firsthand in everyday living and what it looks like in everyday family culture as an individual just living on planet Earth during this time. In these episodes, you will learn more about the pandemic and how to protect yourselves and others during this historic moment. So you probably are aware by now that we use Anchor.fm here on this podcast for COVID-19 PPC. And I wanted to tell you about Anchor.fm because this is actually the second uh, podcast hosting software I've used. And um, I really like it. I love how easy it is to use. I love the fact that it's free. And they have so many tools here like music and all these different options that help you record and edit your podcast either from your phone or your PC or your computer. And then Anchor distributes your podcast for you so that it can be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And then also you can even make money from your podcast with minimum, with no minimum listenership. And it's all you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're new to podcasting and you're interested in um, getting started, I recommend Anchor.fm. So what you can do is download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started um, that's my recommendation. And, um, you know, after almost a year of podcasting, I'm really glad I found Anchor just recently. It just makes things so much easier. And, uh, yeah, come check out anchor.fm. Welcome to COVID-19 Public Health Policy and Culture. Happy autumn. It is October 2021 at this time. And we are looking at a lot of school reopenings and students going back to classes. We talked a bit about in our last episode, universities and um, public health agencies and hotel policies, business policies about the policy patchwork about COVID and vaccinations and masking. Today, we're talking a little bit more about elementary schools, children, and what's been going on in Chicago as we speak to Bess Williamson today. But before that, we'll go ahead and talk a little bit more about the background of what's going on the context of what's going on across the country for children. So here we've got guidance for K through 12 schools by the CDC, and they recommend universal indoor masking for all teachers, staff, students, and visitors to K through 12 schools, regardless of vaccination status. But they do also say that children should return to full-time in-person learning in the fall with layered strategies in place, layered prevention strategies. So that's what CDC is saying in terms of school guidance, school guidelines. And then at the Department of Ed, they've also got some information on COVID-19 resources for school students and families. And there are uh, categories across all education levels, elementary, secondary, and post-secondary education. So I will go ahead and just refer quickly to elementary and secondary here, supporting students during the COVID pandemic, dated September 17th, maximizing in-person learning 
and implementing effective practices for students in quarantine and isolation. So here, clicking on this one here, this is some information from the US Department of Ed. And they must provide every student the opportunity to safely learn in person full time. And abrupt shifts to remote learning have affected students negatively impacting their well being and academic achievement. And they have also exacerbated racial, socioeconomic, and other educational inequities. And so, anyway, CDC guidance is referred to here. And then finally, they say here, nevertheless, there may be situations in which an individual or multiple mem members of a school may need to isolate or quarantine due to positive cases in their schools and their classes. Isolation is a strategy used to separate people. Okay, quarantine is a strategy used to prevent transmission. And this decisions to isolate or quarantine should be made in coordination with guidance from state and local health officials. So that's the information here. There are some strategies to have effective learning take place when students are temporarily unable to attend in person, things like that. So there are all, all these different considerations, technology, supporting the educators, supporting social, socio, social <laughs> emotional and mental health. So there's that. There's also a return to school roadmap on their website. And then zooming in even further as we go into discussing Chicago today, this here is dated September 7th, and it was a handy flowchart to Chicago's schools. Um, will, will COVID cases force your child to quarantine? Here's a handy flowchart. So this is on Chalkbeat Chicago, Essential Education Reporting in Chicago. And it talks about Uh, about 900 students were in quarantine at the time of publication. And then it also mentions that Chicago Public Schools is operating on the side of caution when issuing quarantine orders and that sending students home is not evidence of spread of COVID-19. Entire school communities will be notified once cases are confirmed. This is what it says here from September. And the district said it planned to update the public data portal every Wednesday in Chicago and and that dashboard was last updated September 1st at the time of the article. And then finally, there's this one thing here that just says many parents and educators still have questions about when families are notified about confirmed cases and how quarantine works exactly. So there are still a lot of questions and you can take a look at this flow chart about how or when schools will quarantine their children in class from classes. And today we are actually gonna speak a little bit more about that today with Dr. Bess Williamson. She's the Associate Professor of Design History at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. She's also the author of a book called Making Disability Modern Design Histories. That's a collection of case studies, but then she's also the author of a book called Accessible America, A History of Disability and Design. So she works on the history of design responses to disability rights from 1945 to present times. And so she tells us about her story today about Chicago public schools and her experience of dealing with quarantine, pandemic, vaccination, policy and guidelines in elementary schools in Chicago. I hope you enjoy this episode.
We are at a crucial time in public health with the global crises of the pandemic in addition to climate change. This is our moment as public health professionals, academics, and entrepreneurs to work together collectively to consider solutions and uh, perceive creative ways to work through these major challenges, these wicked problems that we're facing around the world. I encourage you to visit us at publichealthpodcasters.com to learn more about how podcasting can be leveraged to improve public health, health equity, and to support communities building diverse infrastructure in community, global, and environmental health. Again, visit us at publichealthpodcasters.com and learn more about our membership opportunity. Thank you so much for joining us for COVID-19 Public Health Policy and Culture. Today, we're going to be speaking about policy needs and concerns as it relates to the school system. Uh, as we look at children and what's going on as it affects our families as well. Today, we're speaking with Bess Williamson. She is a professor and scholar of design and history, and she is the author of Accessible America, A History of Disability and Design. She's located, she's based in Chicago area, and we welcome her today. Thank you so much, Bess, for joining us. Thanks. Thanks, April. Um, and I'm, yeah, uh, I'm an associate professor of art history theory and criticism at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Thank you. Um, and, and yeah, just to say, I think my, my work is about disability access and kind of the history of architecture and design, but it has cued me into, I think, a lot of broader issues around sort of what happens when we make policies sort of without necessarily thinking about um, populations that are more vulnerable or that have less access. Thank you. Very important topics. So please tell us about what's been going on in the Chicago area as it relates to um, schools and children. What's been going on in your community? Sure. So um, in addition to being a, a professor, I'm a parent of a first grader in the Chicago public school system. So we did mostly remote school last year, um, but then a little bit of in-person and then came back to in-person five-day-a-week school this year. And, you know, on the one hand, I recognize as like an apparent in the US, we, our school district is more in line with public health recommendations than many school districts in that we have a vaccination mandate for staff and teachers and um, all students are wearing masks and there are, there has been some attention to things like um, ventilation um, and social distancing in the, in, within the school. But at the same time, you know, since school began, there's been, I think, two big issues when it comes to, um, you know, COVID and especially related to kind of communication with families. So one is that their contact tracing has been really inconsistent. We heard, we know, first we got an announcement that there was a case in our school the second day of school. And so I was like, okay, well, they're contact tracing at least. I mean, that's going to happen. Um, but then the second notice I got was um, 12 days into the school year for the for someone who had been there the third day of school. So it was like nine or 10 days late. Um, and there has been some news coverage. This has been happening throughout the district. There aren't enough contact tracers. And so there's a backlog where people aren't hearing that there's a case in their own classroom until like the quarantine period is almost over. Um, so that's just a breakdown of how quarantine should work. Um, and then the second issue is that the school district announced a testing program that would be available for all staff and students but it was just announced in a really unclear way. It was announced like it was very hard to read. It didn't come with kind of clarity about like, what is this? Why should you do this? 
how will it work? When will it start? None of those answers were, were available. And um, here we are, September 21st, we're talking and the testing program hasn't begun. It's supposed to start in my school tomorrow and I think it has started in some schools last week. Um, but there's still just a lot of, it's just not very clear how this is gonna roll out. And I think in particular, there hasn't been a lot of information. So for parents like me who are like, yes, we wanna get into it, we're signed up. But I don't think the parents who maybe aren't reading every single email or just are, they might feel nervous about sending their kid in to get tested at school, like they might not have had any encouragement to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of confusion out there. There's unclear information and who people should contact. Uh, who schools should contact, um, and then even the contact tracing challenge. Um, we are just overloaded. I mean, I appreciate the fact that Chicago has its own public health department. That's awesome in itself. That's um, you know definitely something that I wish um, more um, we had more at the local level. But um, tell us a little bit more about your uh, comments, your suggestions, your concerns about what's going on. Well, the thing that is frustrating, right, is that this ends up getting wrapped up into other local issues like arguments between the city, the district, and the teachers union. So then the teachers union seems to be the, the cause of complaint rather than, I think, you know, this is a holistic problem that affects all people that are involved in the school system. Um, but more than anything, you know, it, it draws attention for me to the ways in which, co you know, COVID-related policy has often sort of charged ahead without thinking of the most vulnerable populations. And in this case, we can think of children, people under 12 who can't be vaccinated, um, as well as people who are disabled um, and elderly, right? That there's this sort of sense like we're normal, we're, we're going back to normal. And then you sort of, there's almost like an asterisk. It's like, oh, except for families that have small children. That's a lot of people um, and a lot of the workforce, especially. And so, you know, that's sort of the disconnect for me where I'm like, I feel like I'm having to read through public health statements to be like, well, what, how does this affect people who can't be vaccinated? Um, or how does this affect people who might have high risk members of their household? Um, and that question is often not part of the messaging. Definitely a concern of, as we look at how vaccines are safe and things like that, but children can't have them yet. It's a right. big concern. Um, so are there any suggestions that you would have for us at this time? <sighs> well, there, I think, you know, one of the big things I, always encourage, you know, when thinking about all kinds of pol public health policy issues is to think about how, you know, we're, if we don't address our most vulnerable members of the population, then we're really not addressing the pandemic problem, right? We've seen how, you know, the, the problems of um, COVID treatment might come down to like how many ICU beds there are, right? The, the different ways of counting these things. And that often what, really, you know, it, it hits hardest among populations that are vulnerable. Um, and that, you know, I think in the future, when we look back at this, we won't necessarily be thinking about like, could you go to the theater or could you go to a restaurant, but could you get into the hospital for a needed medical issue or could children, you know, could children be at health risk? Those are some pretty important sort of baselines for reading the success of public health um, projects like this, um, I think. And it's, it just seems like they haven't been as much of the forefront of our conversations. Definitely a pretty serious situation um, as we're hearing about these um, emergency rooms being filled. And then um, I know back in the day at the beginning, there was a ship here in California, this Navy ship that was uh, supposed to uh, serve patients who were not COVID patients that they would take care of the overflow. Um, we don't have that. 
Um, so these concerns, we tried to prepare for them in advance, but I don't know what happened with the follow through. Um, so it is difficult and it's a huge challenge. We're still in the middle of it, unfortunately. Um, what would you like the world to know during this historic time? Um, well, again, I, I think one of the big issues I think about is like COVID doesn't affect just one person's body, but uh, we're much more aware, I think, of the way that it's a community concern, right? Because it's whether you live in a household where you're concerned about protecting you know, vulnerable members, or just being aware that you're, you know, protecting your own health affects other people's health because you might be communicating a disease even if your case is not that severe. Um, and I think to me that's the big takeaway. I, I also, you know, from my own personal standpoint, I think the the general story of parents and of women in particular during this pandemic will be one of our lasting lessons to realize that our, you know, kind of baseline feminist idea of equal access to work and equal treatment at work, you know, has often been kind of separated from the home life. And now the, the pandemic has brought those two, two things together. And that we recognize that, you know, ways that we might be treated unequally at work will compound the family issues that we have where we're struggling to kind of keep up because, you know, our children's uh, schedules are affected um, or we're concerned about their, their health or their ability to go to school. Thank you for bringing up that important topic. We're so interconnected around the world and then how the pandemic does highlight and I don't wanna say exacerbate, but it kind of does um, highlight and exacerbate the fact that we do have these gender differences and inequities still happening um, comparatively even across the world. Um, and so, yeah, there's so much to learn from this situation. And I'm just very grateful for this conversation with you today, Bess. And, um, there are just so many topics that you've addressed just now that require much more contemplation and action. So thank you so much for joining us today, Bess. Um, is there any information, are there any links that we can share out there about how to get in touch with you or learn more about your work? Um, I'm always happy to chat on Twitter. My Twitter name is at BessWWW. Um, and yeah, my book, Accessible America, you know, links into this, although I'm really speaking about this more from my own personal perspective. Okay, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, April.